Would you say um, you're an anxious person? Or maybe you might say, I don't, I don't really suffer from anxiety, but I, I do get anxious a lot. Maybe you'd describe yourself as a worrier. My mom was a real worrier. I mean, she would worry about all sorts of things. She would worry about the car breaking down all the time. She'd worry about the dishwasher or one of the, the major appliances breaking down. And she had this real phobia of cancer. Um, and ironically, none of those things ever came to pass. But she spent a lot of time worrying about what ifs. And she'd get worried if she didn't have anything to worry about because she felt there was something wrong. But maybe, maybe you feel like anxiety has a grip on you. That you can't seem to shake it. And if you do, you're not alone. There's many, many of us who, who deal and, uh, with various levels of anxiety, right? I mean, in all honesty, there's always a little part of me that's slightly anxious when I get up here to preach the Word of God. And it's not because I'm nervous about public speaking. It's because I feel the sincerity and the weight of what I'm trying to do here. And for me, that is, that's a big deal. So there's also always a little bit of anxiety, but I think it's a good anxiousness. It's, 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 it's one that carries the weight of what I'm trying to do. But anxiety, it's a, it's a big issue, isn't it, in our society today? Um, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million people every year. 40 million. And that's probably just the folks who are being honest and, and reporting these things. And there's, you know, it's called a mental illness, and I want to remove the stigma there of mental illness. There's, there's, there should be no stigma about that because it is something that many of us uh, have to deal with, and there should be no shame associated with that. But 40 million people, that's just in this country. It actually affects people all over the world. And, you know, there are many different types of anxiety, such as generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, social anxiety disorder. There are specific phobias, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, we could go on. There's so many forms that this takes. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is we're going to be talking about uh, anxiety and its counterpart, peace. But before we get there, I want to deal very quickly with the first couple of verses that we read this morning from the gospel, which, which were to do with, with a conflict within the church. And, and this ties back into, remember one of the big themes in Philippians, we're in this sermon series on Philippians, and one of the big themes is what? Unity. Okay, unity within the church. And so, um, Paul does an unusual, he makes an unusual move here in the first couple of verses because he doesn't normally do this, but he names names. Okay, he names uh, two women in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, who have been in some kind of conflict. And on top of that, it would seem that they are leaders in the church. And when Paul calls them out by name, he's not doing this to shame them because he shows that he actually has a, a deep affection and love for them uh, when he says, uh, he describes them as women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So they're dear friends, 
and their leaders. Perhaps they were part of the deacons or overseers that Paul mentions at the beginning of this letter. Remember back in, in, in chapter 1. But Paul, he makes a plea with them. And he makes a plea for them to agree with each other in the Lord. Agree with each other in the Lord. It's kind of tied into Paul saying, you know, be of one mind. Be of one mind. But whatever they were dis- disagreeing about, it was serious enough that Paul had to appeal to them directly. So this wasn't just some small little tiff. This, this was something quite serious uh, between these two women. And it's, it's a reminder to us that even the falling out of just two people in a church can affect the whole church deeply. That's all it takes is two people to be at odds with each other and it can affect the whole, the whole community, especially if it's a smaller community like our church, for example. And even worse, if they're in leadership, then it affects the church at another level, doesn't it? And it's also a reminder for us to resolve our differences that we have with each other quickly and with humility and forgiveness. If you have a falling out with somebody in the church, resolve it quickly. Don't let it go on for weeks and months and fester. Approach your brother or your sister in Christ in humility and forgiveness and work it out because we're called to do that. So that kind of disunity in the church that uh, Paul was addressing there, it, it creates a lack of peace and harmony in a community. And so in this next section, the next couple of sections where I really want to get to with this passage, uh, Paul, he brings us to the subjects of, of peace and anxiety. And so Paul, he begins verse 4 by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. So there we have it again, folks. There's a, the other major theme in Philippians, right? Joy. Joy. It's one of the big themes of Philippians. It is a joyous letter. And what he's really reminding us is that where, where does the source of our joy really come from? It doesn't come from anything you can find here. It comes from the Lord. He is the true source of our joy. In verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, when we hear the word gentleness, kind of just the way things are today, we perhaps associate gentleness with uh, maybe being a, a little bit sort of meek or weak-willed, or a bit of a pushover, right? But that's, that's not what the word here means at all. Um, it has a really interesting, relevant meaning for us today. The word he uses, it means an attitude of kindness where the normal or expected response is retaliation. Let me say that again. So when he says, let your gentleness be evident, he's saying, be kind to people. Let your kindness be evident instead of always wanting to retaliate. And when you think about it, that is a revolutionary concept for today's society, isn't it? Isn't it? It's so counter to the culture we live in right now. You know, we we live in, uh, right now, we're living in a tit-for-tat, retaliatory, snippy, one-up-you society, aren't we? Where it's considered almost admirable and a sign of strength to always fire back to always go for the jugular, have a witty response that crushes your enemy. You know, we're, we're living in the era of the grievance industry, aren't we? Where their currency is being offended and outraged about anything and everything that you can find. 
If you can't find something to be offended about, you'll manufacture something. We're getting to the point where we're, we're being so lacking in forgiveness in giving second chances in giving people grace in being humble because it has become more important to dis- degrade and destroy our opponents at any cost. But what does Paul say? He says actually that we're called to let our gentleness be evident. Let our gentleness be evident by the way we respond to being offended. Remember last week I was talking about how we as the church, we're called to be culture makers, not culture emulators. And one of the ways we can be culture makers is by acting in a way that is completely at odds with how the world tells us we should react. You know, just last, na- last week, there was a wonderful example of this, um, and it was to do with Saturday Night Live um, and this guy, Dan Crenshaw. And some of you may have read this, have seen the story, but essentially what happened was um, Dan Crenshaw is, I believe he's a Republican congressman, but he's a former Navy SEAL, um, and he, uh, he wears an eye patch due to uh, an injury he sustained uh, from an IED explosion in Afghanistan. And uh, one of the comedians on Saturday Night Live, Pete Davidson, he made a joke about Dan Dan Crenshaw and kind of sort of mocked his injury a little bit. He sort of made fun of of, of what he'd gone through. And understandably so, there was a big uproar about this, that it was disrespectful, it was insensitive, uh, and, and what have you. Dan Crenshaw's reaction was very, very refreshing, and it's a lesson we can all learn. Because instead of him turning around and saying, you know what, I'm offended and outraged by this. I'm going I'm to sue SNL. How dare they? And all the things we've come to expect. What did he do? He turned around and he said, you know what? We need to stop getting offended and upset about the slightest things that people throw at us. And it's stupid things people say once in a while and digging up their past all the time. He said, we need to get over that. And do you know what happened? SNL reached out to him, invited him onto the show the following week where he got to sit there and do a skit, make fun of Pete Davidson. They made a joke out of it and he also got time to talk about veterans a little bit. And the whole thing was a beautiful example of what can happen when one of us lets our gentleness be evident. They could have decided to continue. He could have gone for a lawsuit, tried to get a ton of money out of him. But instead, what did it do? It brought people from opposite ends of the spectrum together. And they had a new understanding and a newfound respect of each other because of that. We're called to do the same, folks. And when we do that, guess what it does? Instead of creating more division, it brings us together. It brings unity. Let your gentleness be evident. Paul continues in verse 6, and he says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. As I mentioned at the beginning here, that anxiety and its sibling depression are rampant in society today, aren't they? And it's, it's on the rise. And in a sense, anxiety is the, 
It's the, the opposite or the antithesis of shalom, of peace. That Jewish word shalom, which means, means more than just peace. It means wholeness, completeness. But anxiety is the antithesis of this. And as a pastor, I believe one of the big reasons that anxiety is on the rise in our society and around the world, and one of the reasons the world is, is almost, it's kind of losing its bearings a little bit, I believe one of the big reasons is that um, we are increasingly abandoning God and trying to create a world without God. And when a society does that, when society takes God out of everything, takes God out of the schools, takes God uh, out of uh, public uh, places, takes God out of the universities, when we remove God from everything, by the way, do you think the world's becoming a better place since we've done that more and more? I don't. But when we do that, when we remove God from everything, we're actually removing the one true source of peace. If you have an absence of God, you will have an abundance of anxiety. Let me say that again. If you have an absence of God, you will have an abundance of anxiety. You'll never have true peace without God in your life because God is the only one true source of peace. Now, I know there are many causes of anxiety. And I know some of it is physical, neurological, chemical imbalances. But we also have to address what Paul's talking about here. And the great thing is, right, Paul doesn't, he doesn't just say, hey, hey guys, just don't be anxious about anything, okay? There we go, that's it, just, just don't be anxious. You got it? Feeling less anxious now? Okay, good. It's kind of like, you know, when somebody tells you to calm down, right? In the history of calming down, has anybody ever actually calmed down after being told to calm down? I mean, it's never worked with me. Hey, calm down. Oh, okay. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so glad you said that to me. I would have never thought of it myself. Thank you. Of course it doesn't work, does it? It's just saying calm down because that's not giving anybody any reasons why they should calm down. So Paul here, he's not just saying, hey, just, just don't be anxious, okay? Just, just get on with it. No, he's actually, he's very practical. Um, and he gives us a practical method for how to stave off and present, uh, prevent anxiety. And as I said, there are many reasons for anxiety. I don't want to play down the fact that it's all down to this issue, okay? But... Paul here, he's addressing the fact that there is a spiritual root to a lot of anxiety. There is a spiritual root. And you won't often hear that from the other side of things. But there is a spiritual root to anxiety. We have an enemy out there who would rather keep us feeling anxious and in this place of of paralysis and in a holding zone than for us to move forward out of the anxiety and actually be used for the kingdom. So what does what Paul says? What's, what's the practical advice he gives us for dealing with anxiety? Well, he says, in everything, everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So listen there. What he's got is he's got a three-prong approach. And it's all centered around prayer. One commentator said, anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. 
Do you realize the enemy doesn't want you to pray? They don't, he doesn't want you to be a person of prayer. Because prayer combats anxiety. In fact, to combat anxiety, you, you have to foster a lifestyle of prayer. Not just what I call a Hail Mary prayer. And by that, I don't mean the, the Catholic prayer, the Hail Mary, which I'm sure many of us are familiar with. But I'm talking about a Hail Mary prayer like, you know, in, in football where they throw the Hail Mary pass because the clock's down to, you know, three or four seconds. There's nothing left. There's, they're basically there all out of luck. And so you might as well just throw the ball. Well, that's what I call a Hail Mary prayer. Hail Mary prayer is when things have got so bad, you figure, well, I guess all I can do is pray now. I might as well pray. It's not going to hurt at this stage, right? That's not a lifestyle of prayer. That's thinking God's your cosmic vending machine. And when you need help, you just put in your couple of bucks or whatever. I was going to say your quarter, but that would have been about 20, 30 years ago. But that's not a lifestyle of prayer. Only praying when you need help, when you need something. Petition. Paul says, he says, prayer with prayer and petition. And petition is a form of prayer that asks God's, God for your needs. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some people think, oh, it's so selfish of me to ask God for my needs. And, you know, no, I must always be praying for others. Well, you can petition for others, but it's okay to petition for yourself as well. It's important to remember God, God's your father, right? And like any good parent, he wants to know when his children has needs. Now, that doesn't mean he's always going to give you what you ask for. Because any good parent will tell you, you don't always give your kids what they ask for, right? Sometimes your kid can, can be so convinced they need something. Please, please let me have this. And they'll, I, my kids aren't old enough where I've experienced this yet, but I've seen it all the time in toy stores where kids, they are master negotiators. And they will just wear you down, wear you down. Please let me have this. You, this is so essential to my life right now. Everything will be fine if, you just, if I can just have this, you know. And as parents, we know a lot of the time, no, you're not having that. It's not good for you. And it's one of the reasons God doesn't always answer our prayers because in his wisdom, he knows there are things that as much as we think they're so crucial for us, he knows are not. They're not good for us. They're going to be, they're going to be bad for us. But nonetheless, petition. Ask God, Lord, please help me. I need this. Tell me if this is right. And the third part of that three-pronged approach is, and I believe one of the most important, thanksgiving. We're going to be celebrating that this week, aren't we, with friends and family. You know, we, we traditionally, we remind ourselves of what we are to be thankful for. But again, thanksgiving, it's another form of prayer. And it's one of the most essential because it's connected to worship. And it's, in a sense, the thanksgiving, it's not just about saying thank you to God for the things he's done in the past and the things in faith that he's going to do in the future for you. No, thanksgiving is the absolute basic posture for the believer. Thankfulness should be the foundation of all your other prayers. Because when we come from a place of thankfulness, we take our eyes off ourselves, right, which is the world of anxiety, the world, anxiety prospers when we focus inwards all the time. 
But when we start with thankfulness, it takes our eyes off ourselves and we place them on God. So there's a three-pronged approach, prayer, petition, thanksgiving. But what's all the result of this? Because after all, we are a results-based society, aren't we? What's the result? What does it produce? Well, check out verse 7. It says, And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So the result we get is the peace of God. The peace of God. What's the peace of God, you ask me? It's a peace that this world cannot offer. It's a supernatural kind of peace that defies our understanding. You know what? We often think we can find peace through many things uh, in this world, don't we? Uh, We think we can find financial peace as long as we have a job and the money's coming in and the stocks are looking good. Uh, We think we can find uh, physical peace as long as uh, we're working out and we have our health. We think we can find relational peace as long as we don't get into any serious arguments with people or we don't have any breakups. But notice that all these types of peace, they have one thing in common, don't they? They're all contingent on something else. Sure, you can have financial peace, but what happens when we have what happened in 2008 with the housing crash and the stock market crash? Sure, you can have physical peace, but what happens when you get an unexpected illness or you get into an accident? And sure, you can have relational peace, but what happens when the person you're with, perhaps it's a spouse, decides they don't love you anymore and despite everything you try, they want to leave you? They're conditional forms of peace, but God's peace is not conditional and it cannot be rocked or shaken by your circumstances. There's the big one. Your circumstances, when you have the supernatural peace of God, they don't dictate your inner peace. That's unshakable. You know, I am always humbled and astounded by some of the patients I encounter as a hospital chaplain. And it's a deeply humbling experience because I encounter people who are basically are, are dying, are on their death's bed. But they have this incredibly deep faith. And in the midst of knowing that they have perhaps weeks, perhaps days left, they have an inner peace and I will talk to them. How are you feeling about everything? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? No. No, I'm not. Because I know who my Lord is and I know what awaits me. And they have this deep sense of peace in the midst of their suffering. That's supernatural, folks. There are other people I talk with who have no belief in God. They're afraid. They're terrified. They're scared. They're anxious. The peace of God, it's a supernatural thing. It's a kind of peace that, you know, you know where that peace comes from? It comes from knowing the Father's voice and knowing his promises. And that only comes through a lifestyle of prayer. So in a sense, one of the antidotes to anxiety and of finding true peace is found in the linked exercise of prayer 
and thanksgiving. And the peace of God, it not only gives you an internal sense of wholeness, right? But it also, what does it tell? It guards your hearts and your minds. And that word guard, it literally means and implies that a garrison of angelic troops are standing guard around your heart and your mind. That word guard, it's a garrison. It's a, it's a group of troops. Why, why do our hearts and our minds, why do they need guarding? Why do they need protecting? Well, the answer is it's because our minds and our hearts, they are battlefields. That's where the war goes on. Anxiety's primary battlefield is the mind. And while it's, it's nearly impossible to stop your mind from thinking, we can control what we think about and what we dwell on. We actually have the power to do that. And this is why Paul, he tells us in verse 8, this is such a beautiful verse. He says, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Isn't it interesting how our culture is so bent towards violence and sex and bad news? Have you noticed that? That um, uh, so many of the movies we watch, right, uh, are full of shooting and, and guns and explosions and sexual overtones, right? And the news in the media is geared towards reporting tragedy and, again, violence and destruction. Have you noticed that? That everything kind of thrown out there in the public realm, by and large, is something to do with kind of death and destruction and uh, or some kind of uh, sexuality thing, right? It's all, it's all about um, geared towards negativity in one sense. And yet Paul is reminding us that as fallen as this world is, it's still the world that God created and there's still so much beauty to be seen and admired. You know, it is easy to get weighed down, isn't it, with all the negativity we, we, we see but don't forget, this is still a beautiful world. There's still so much beauty and there is still so much goodness in it because God is in the world. There cannot not be goodness and beauty in the world. If you take the time to stop and look around, God's handiwork and his beauty is everywhere, isn't it? Maybe it's admiring a beautiful sunrise or sunset. Maybe it's going for a walk or a hike and soaking in the nature around you. Perhaps it's going to a museum or going to see some live music. Maybe it's learning a musical instrument or painting or building something. Perhaps it's having a, a snowball fight with your kids. Just yesterday, I was looking out of my, uh, the window and I saw a next-door neighbor. It was obviously the grandfather and his little grandchild who's probably, I don't know, a little girl, probably four or five. And they were throwing snowballs at each other. And the joy on that grandfather's face and on that grandchild's face was priceless. Just a little, little sample of pure joy right there. Maybe it's cooking a good meal. It's a reminder from Paul that we don't have to be in this Christian bubble. 
right? There are, there are some churches and, and theologies that say, you know, oh, you, you can't, you shouldn't be watching anything that's, that's not overtly Christian. And you shouldn't be listening to any music that is not, you know, overtly worship music. That's not what Paul's telling us here. What he's saying is he's, he's saying embrace the best of this world. Embrace the best of it. And do that while understanding it through the light of the cross. You know, at church, right, we, we need to reclaim the arts, right? We re- need to reclaim the humanities. We need to reclaim the sciences. Because it's, it's where they all got their start anyway. You know, the church used to produce the masterpieces of art and music and literature. And it's time that we reclaimed these worlds and used them to glorify God again instead of ourselves. But most of all, of all the things we dwell on, maybe it's dwelling on the Lord who is truly excellent and praiseworthy. That should be our number one place of focus. That's why Paul at the beginning says rejoice. And he says it again. I will say it again, rejoice. Why does he say that? Because the Lord alone is truly excellent and worthy of praise. So folks, there is a battle going on for our hearts and our minds. And we, are, we have an important and crucial role to play in that. It takes a little bit of reprogramming on our part. But you know what? You can retrain yourself with the help of the Lord to think about what is true, to think about what is noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. So I want to leave you with three points to take away from today. Okay? Three points. And they all begin with E. Okay? I want you to evaluate, elevate, and examine. Okay? Let me say those again. Evaluate, elevate, and examine. So number one, evaluate your prayer life. Do you even have a prayer life? And like I said, it's not about saying the Hail Mary prayers. Lord, please help me. I'm in a pickle. No, do you have a regular prayer life? If you don't, don't walk in shame about it. Don't walk in condemnation about it. Start one. It's not as hard as you think. And start simply, start easily. You know, if you've never done it before on a regular basis, start with five minutes a day. Five minutes. But do it every day at the same time. And if you do that, what you're going to find is five turns into 10, 10 turns into 20, 20 turns into 30. Before you know it, you're spending an hour a day with the Lord, not because you feel obligated, because you need to. So examine your, evaluate rather, your prayer life. And if you don't have one or if it's lacking, start a routine. Number two, elevate God in your prayers. Elevate God in your prayers by focusing on Him first. How do you focus on Him first? Make a habit of always starting your prayers with thanksgiving. I know it's really easy, isn't it? When, when you're feeling anxious and you're feeling, you want to go straight to the issue, right? You want to say, Lord, please, I really need help with, I need help with this exam. Lord, I need help with my finances. Please, 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 please. Take a step back and begin with thanksgiving. Always begin with thanksgiving, no matter what your prayers are. Because when you do that, remember, what are you doing? You're taking the focus off yourself, and you're putting the focus on Him. 
which is so much more rewarding. I'd much rather focus on God than myself. (laughs) So elevate God in your prayers. And number three, examine your thought life and patterns and the habits that are ingrained in you. Do you realize we're all creatures of habit, right? We all have things we do every day in our routine. And habit begets habit. It's, it's hard to get rid of a habit if you don't replace it with something else because you'll just slide back to the same old habit again. And I was thinking about this myself and I was examining myself and my, uh, my thought life and my patterns and I realized, you know, one of the really unhealthy things I do in my life, I bet nobody else does this, of course, is when I wake up, the first thing I do is I grab my phone and I go straight to the news websites and I start flicking through just, you know, Oh, what's been going on today? What's the latest scandal? Who's complaining about who? And I'll flick through a bunch of different news websites that I get news from. And then I'll go to social media and I'll have a look. And I've done all this before I've got out of bed. And already, I'm feeling a bit grumpy. A bit annoyed. Maybe a bit anxious. And I realized... The first thing I need to do before I even step foot outside of my bed is thank the Lord for a new day. Is focus on Him. It's a habit. It's an ingrained habit that I need to change. And I have the power to do that. And I encourage you to do the same. So examine your thought life and the patterns. Retrain your mind. Paul says in Romans 12 too, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but what does he say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Retrain your mind to think and meditate on the beauty of God and the beauty of this world and you will start to see much of your anxiety melt away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, you are a God of peace. You're not a God of anxiety. You don't wish for anxiety in our life, Lord. And you are not the creator of anxiety. Lord, you are the the God of peace. And so I pray that each of us this morning and going forth this week, we, we would experience that peace that transcends all understanding. Lord, would you help us to... to um, Examine our lives and our thought patterns. Would you help us to elevate you in our prayers, Lord, so that we're giving you thanks? Would you call us to a life of prayer? I just pray, Lord, people would experience peace this week, a peace they can only put down to you that cannot be explained by their circumstances. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful God who answers our prayers. You don't always give us what we ask for, but you give us what you know we need. And that is because you are a good, good Father. Thank you, Lord. And we ask all this through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.